Fresh New Shorts offers you new short stories from award-winning authors. Today's story is by author John Blackmore and is found in A Physicist's Guide to Love and Other Natural Phenomena. Today's episode features Ash and follows a young couple perilously close to the birth of their first child and the older couple living next door who seem to be building a tower of household goods in their driveway. Ash. Jennifer watched her neighbor carry another box to the curb, the clinking of its contents like wind chimes. He was 70, perhaps 80. It was so hard to tell those decades apart. She didn't know his name, but that was forgivable. She was new to the subdivision, Hamley Creek, its entrance demarked by a faux gatehouse and twin plinths topped by lions. He wore old man suits, double-breasted and high-waisted, today's the shade and speckle of rye bread. Jennifer stood on her side of the cedar hedge, her back arched to shift the uncomfortable ball of pregnancy. Her neighbor shakily laid the box on top of the first. Jennifer admired the slow but deliberate sense of purpose. It made her stare at her own limbo, bed rest between working and mothering. Today's task was accepting delivery of their crib. Brett had haggled unsuccessfully for the floor model, and Pride backed him into special delivery from Europe. Paris, Milan, or some such legendary place. She brushed her hand along the hedge. Brett had trimmed it. Should you trim cedar in spring? She hadn't pictured herself with a living fence. She hadn't pictured herself with a crib from Paris. She pictured herself in Paris. A black car pulled into her driveway. Did European baby furniture arrive by luxury sedan? She recognized the license plate. B-O-B-I-S-L-E-Z, Bobby Sells. Hello, came from the sedan. I thought you'd be here, Bobby said. She was their real estate agent. Bobby was everyone's agent. She was secretary for the Hamley Creek Community Association. She was fundraiser for Hamley Creek Public School. She sponsored the annual Halloween party in Hamley Creek Park with inflatable mountains and castles. Bobby knew every house, every household, measuring their worth and potential to go on market from death or divorce. Yet she managed to do so in the sweetest apple pie way. Mind if I come in for a moment? Jennifer nodded. Every Bobby question was rhetorical. Bobby sat at the kitchen table in yoga wear. She produced a Tupperware of sweet coconut somethings. I just wanted you to know, as someone new to the community, that we're handling the ash issue with the city and McConnell's. Ash, Jennifer said. It's not a big deal, but you know some people. Her voice lowered in case some people had the hearing of owls. The Ericsons at 2925, they want to make everything Watergate or Bhopal. Jennifer nodded. The Ericsons drove a Prius and a Hummer, so they were very difficult to gauge. Kicking up a fuss in the papers about ash that may be from McConnell's would cut $25,000 off everyone's house like that, Bobby snapped. Nobody wants that. We're getting to the bottom of it. Health is number one, but perceptions... 
she airplaned a coconut thingy towards Jennifer's mouth. McConnell's was a funeral home. Jennifer chewed the bar. Ash from the crematorium? Bobby shook her hair. There is ash, but we can't be certain of its origin. There was that eruption in Washington State. Forest fires in Ontario. Particulate can stay in the atmosphere for years. But once people start about McConnell's, the genie's out of the bottle. Then, we're that neighborhood with cremains on its cars. Nobody wants that. Jennifer shook her head. You're loving the house, Bobby stated. And that baby, any day. Due next week, I'm on bed rest. And there you were, outside. Just watching the man next door. I guess I have garbage day all wrong. No, it is Friday, Bobby said. The Brentcliffs. They're the pioneers of Hamley Creek. Phase one, house one. It was just that house, muck and bulldozers ten years ago, back when herringbone and calico drives were just a forest. Bobby said that with mild distaste. Jennifer calculated that even ten years ago, the Brentcliffs would have been old people. She wanted a house with a spiral staircase, Bobby said. Balderson had one model with a spiral staircase, the Gatsby. An eccentric design, only two Gatsbys in the whole development. Bobby stood up and Jennifer followed her to the door. Bobby turned and lowered her voice. You know, Mrs. Brentcliffe has left the building. Alzheimer's? Dementia? And he, he has Parkinson's. You'll see them in their car. She drives because the doctors took his license, all those medications. But he navigates. It's sweet on one level, like a gift of the Magi. But I'd keep an eye on that baby if you see the Brentcliffs out for a spin. At 10 a.m., Jennifer took a materna and drank hot milk with peppermint. She made a grilled cheese and tomato sandwich and laid down on the couch in her front bay window. She woke at noon. In those two hours, chairs, boxes, a coat rack, and small items such as kettles, teapots, and guest towels had stacked at the Brentcliffs' curb. Jennifer rolled off the couch and pulled on Brett's workshop cardigan. She walked down to the street and over to the Brentcliffs. She examined the growing hill of life's detritus. Mr. Brentcliff reemerged with a card table folded down save one recalcitrant leg. I'm your new neighbor, Jennifer said. He smiled and placed the overturned table on a foundation of paper boxes. His head indeed had a Hepburn tremble, and his hands quavered. Can I help? Jennifer asked. I could phone my husband. Mr. Brentcliffe shook his head more broadly. If I can get the chairs and dishes out, maybe they'll leave, he said. He wiped his forehead with a handkerchief. You have company? Company? A crowd. They're eating all our food. Dancing all over the house. Jennifer nodded, though his house was utterly still. Where's Mrs. Brentcliffe? Guarding the staircase. God knows what they'd do if they got upstairs. Jennifer nodded again. A pang developed in her stomach and she rubbed it. If you'd like any of this, feel free. Here. Mr. Brentcliffe opened a box. 
Inside was a jumble of china cups and saucers. He retrieved a gold-rimmed plate with a coat of arms that featured a bear. This was Agnes's mother's, or her mother's mother's. It's older than Columbus. You take it. I couldn't. He'll stay out here until someone does. God knows I don't want them getting it. He looked wearily back at his house. You might as well. Jennifer thanked him. She returned to her house with the plate, but on second thoughts left it on Brett's workbench in the garage. She ate a banana and spread pâté on crackers. From the bay window, she watched Mr. Brentcliffe. At one point, he tied a rope around his waist and lassoed a loop around an easy chair, pulling it as if he were an ox. Jennifer phoned Brett. Hey, baby or crib? I think the neighbors need help. The Chinese family? They're Korean. No, the other side, the old ones. Help with what? Jennifer paused. He's taking all the stuff out of his house. Are they moving? He's just taking it out and putting it at the curb. Cleaning carpets? He says there are people eating his food and dancing on his floor. He's trying to make it uncomfortable for them. A party, Brett snorted. What, a bridge gone wild? Are there cars? That's the thing. I don't think there's anyone in his house. Some medications will make you hallucinate. Brett seemed to be processing new information. Don't they have a family? They're the pioneers of Hamley Creek. Hmm. Watch TV. Wait till I get home. Jennifer watched Shopping Channel Kitchen Gadgets on their 50-inch plasma flat screen. She ate yogurt-covered raisins and drank inky pomegranate juice. She wrapped herself in an afghan her mother sent along with a Maeve Binchy book, though Jennifer hated old country charm. She could hear the scrape of furniture along the Brent Cliffs pavement. Jennifer returned to the front bay window. She watched the mailman help Mr. Brentcliffe move a love seat. Brett passed the mailman and parked. He got out of his car and stared at the furniture and boxes. Mr. Brentcliffe was stacking his possessions deliberately, like the builder of pyramids. Jennifer met Brett, and they walked to the curb, staring at the assembly. Mr. Brentcliffe came out with an electric waffle iron. This is my husband, Jennifer said. Mr. Brentcliffe looked Brett over. Jennifer said you had some crowd control problems. Can we help? Mr. Brentcliffe glanced back at his house. Be my guest. Even if it was the eccentric Gatsby model, they recognized the rounded corner drywall, the nine-foot ceilings, the skimpy baseboards and snap-in window lattices. They saw a set of family pictures, perhaps the Brentcliffe children and grandchildren. A red Persian rug lay alone in the dining room under the table. All of the chairs were at the street. There's no one here, Brett whispered to Jennifer. I didn't think there'd be. So why'd you ask me to come home? Jennifer punched him. And just let him keep emptying his house? Why not? What do you mean, why not? Why do we have to stop him from emptying his house? Jennifer was suddenly furious with Brett. She was even more furious because she didn't have a quick answer. Sometimes I don't know who you are, she said. Jennifer strode away from him towards the grand spiral staircase coiling elegantly 
to the second floor. Mr. Brentcliffe joined Brett in the dining room and began unscrewing the legs of the dining table. With his shaking hands, it was difficult to get the screwdriver in the groove of the screw. If anyone was here, they're gone now, Brett said. Mr. Brentcliffe continued to work on the table leg. It came off. You think they'll come back? Brett asked. They've just shifted to the kitchen. I clear them from one room, they go to the other. Brett found Jennifer by the stairs and grabbed her elbow. I'm starting to believe there are people here. It's creepy. I can't find Agnes. You think he killed her? Brett peered around a pillar at Mr. Brentcliffe. The old man held a Robertson screwdriver pointed at the table leg. Jennifer and Brett walked the spiral staircase to the second level. Jennifer listened at the master bedroom double doors. She listened at the other bedrooms. Someone was moving in the smallest one. The door was locked from the outside. Brett released the lock and gently pushed the door open. Agnes was sitting on a chaise lounge, reading a book that she held upside down. Jennifer recognized it as another Maeve Binchy. Agnes looked up. We're your neighbors, Jennifer said. She wished she had an apple crumble with her. It took a moment, but Agnes replied, The man downstairs said there were strangers in the house, and I didn't believe him. Neighbors, Jennifer corrected. Help! Agnes shouted. Help! Brett shut the door. Is he hard of hearing? Brett asked. I don't know. Help! They're up here! Let's get out. Regroup, Brett said. They bolted through the back door and crossed between the cedars to their property. Ooh, she's really lost it, Jennifer said. And he hasn't? Jennifer placed her hand on her belly, the talisman of her youth. Through the hedge, they watched Mr. Brentcliffe bring two table legs to the curb. They must have children. I saw pictures. We didn't even know their names, Jennifer said. But she had a thought. Bobby gave the question of Brentcliffe children a hmm... I didn't sell that house. It was before my time. I'll see what I can find out. Should we phone the police? Jennifer asked Brett when she hung up. For what? Putting stuff out on the street? She watched Mr. Brentcliffe take a stand-up lamp and place it on top of a table. His pile of goods was taking shape, gaining height. It looked like modern art, something with a name like Prometheus or Krakatoa Three. Let's see what happens. He'll get tired soon, Brett said. Mr. Brentcliffe continued to move his household to the street, well into the night. Brett fell asleep on the Chesterfield watching Greys. Jennifer found it hard to focus on the issues facing young doctors as the wispy ghost of Mr. Brentcliffe tremulously shuffled up and down his driveway, furniture scraping on pavement. She pushed Brett towards the bed. Her head was heavy with guilt for what she could have done and didn't. The baby kicked her, but she fell asleep. She awoke in the middle of the night. Brett, she whispered. She had heard the car next door. Brett! Brett stumbled to the window. The streetlight sculpted his body, young, and yet, had his bum lost some firmness? Was that hair sprouting from his shoulders? She hugged into him from behind, pressing her smooth skin globe into his back, and they stood, 
naked and uncertain, looking into the garden. Mount Brentcliff cast blue shadows that reached back for their house. The Brentcliff's Lincoln, the size of a zeppelin, edged down the driveway. Get dressed, Jennifer said. They shouldn't be on the road. What? They'll kill someone, most likely themselves. We'll follow them. It was chilly. Brett in his tangerine dolphin's tea, workshop cardigan, and cut-off sweats. Jennifer in her baby doll and aqua terry robe. Brett leaned over the wheel, following the Brentcliffs. The old couple orbited Hamley Creek once, before shotgunning out of the subdivision. They drove fast and steady. Jennifer rummaged the glove box for Skittles or M&Ms to fuel against the cold. The Brentcliffs' Lincoln, like a seal ungainly on land but now at sea, was slick and full of momentum. Halfway to the big box oasis of Lowe's, Walmart, and Circuit City, Jennifer felt a flood of water on her seat. She realized then that the Paris or Milan crib had not arrived. Brett spun the car around for the hospital. Their anticipation was cooled by being caught on ready, their trailer park outfits, the carefully planned essentials back in Hamley Creek, the phone list, the hospital bag with its iPad birth mix, tennis ball for her back, shaken heat pads, the discreet bottle of French champagne with two flutes pre-etched, J and B. Contractions, timing, breathing, breathing, epidurals, crowning, cord, nursing, circumcise, cloth, plastic, should boys wear yellow sleepers, Time and life bent and reformed the way a square of paper could be folded into a flapping crane. Was it two days? Was it a week? Brett carried baby Zachary in the combo car seat bed stroller to their front door. From the car, Jennifer sat and saw the boxes and furniture of Mount Brentcliff still standing beside their house. That day seemed to be somewhere else in a hat box, underwater, lost at sea. Where had the old couple gone? Had they returned? Jennifer got out of the car and drifted over to the Susian heap of goods. The stack surpassed the height of the spindly trees Balderson had replanted after raising the landscape. Bobby dropped off a fruit basket, Brett called out. Their baby boy gazed up at his unmarked lintels, even if he couldn't focus on more distance than mouth to breast. I told you the crib arrived, right? Just waiting on metric bolts. Jennifer didn't listen. She dragged her finger across the Brentcliff's legless dining room table. A film of fine ash had settled upon it. How long before this inexorable dust buried the columns and frieze of this monument? Then the baby cried at the door. Jennifer felt her milk. Heeding natural rhythms, she hurried back and inside her home before she soaked another shirt. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fresh New Shorts. If you enjoyed today's story, rate us five stars wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find the book, 
A Physicist Guide to Love by John Blackmore on Amazon.com, .ca, or your country's site. Please subscribe and come back to listen to us again.